I've never preached from Galatians before. And there's a reason I've never preached from Galatians before. And that is because a church that I was pastoring a number of years ago said to me, we don't want you to preach from Galatians. I said, why not? Yeah, (laughs) why not? And they said, we don't want our people to experience too much freedom. We don't want our people to experience too much freedom. We believe they need to be motivated by what God wants them to do. We want you to tell them what to do, not to give them freedom. Which is ironic, of course, because that's the entire purpose of the letter, as you would have discovered over, I don't know how many weeks or months you've been doing it, Reuben, but you would have discovered that's the purpose of the letter, is our freedom, is our freedom. So I started to think as I framed this message, um, I wonder what the Apostle Paul would have said to my church. I thought, what would he have said about my instructions, about the lack of freedom in the place? I've broken it down to three main things that I want to talk about this morning as we uh, move closer to the section on the fruits of the Spirit in chapter 5. I think Paul would have said these three key things. The gospel is serious. The gospel is serious business. We don't get to mess with the gospel. It doesn't matter who they are. We don't get to mess with the gospel, yeah? We don't get to fool around with it. We don't get to change it. We don't get to add onto it because of what we want to achieve, either for ourselves or for our congregations. Yeah. Secondly, the gospel is wonderful. The gospel has some wonderful things to say to us, some incredible things, some things so wonderful, dare I suggest, we don't even talk about them a lot. Some things so wonderful, they actually sound dangerous. So wonderful, we might actually start to experience too much freedom. And there's a core idea that I want to move through that I think we often forget when we talk about the gospel and the way we package it. The third thing I think Paul would have said to my church and to me as a pastor, to the elders, is our behaviour signals what version of the gospel we've been listening to. Our behaviour, rather than being categorised as right or wrong, as in tell the people what to do, tell the people what not to do, our behaviour is a sign It's a flag that says you've either been listening to this gospel or this version of it or you've been listening to this one and that's the fruit of the Spirit. So I want us to talk about the version of the gospel that we listen to but not just listen to from Reuben or from other people who preach. What's the version of the gospel we tell ourselves? What's the version of the gospel we're living by? Does that make sense? All right, we're ready to go. All right. First section, the gospel is serious business. We get this right through the letter. And I'm kind of going to do a, what would you call it, a run through the letter very quickly. I know we've only got about half an hour. So just to run through the path you've already taken through the the letter to Galatians. The gospel is serious. What do we mean by that? Paul kicks off straight away. He gives the Galatians both barrels and he says this, Jesus gave himself to rescue you. Verse 3, right at the start, in his greeting, Paul often gives away a lot about what he wants to say because of what he puts in his greeting. And this time he says, I want to start off 
where I mean to continue. Jesus gave himself for your freedom. And the kind of stylistic impact of this letter right at the start is, so why the... Mm, and seriously, his language is this passionate, why the heck are you trying to take it away from yourselves? Jesus gave himself for your freedom, so what are you doing? I think if Paul was standing in the midst of the church where I was pastoring when the elders said to me, don't preach Galatians, you will encourage the people to be free, Paul would have shouted and screamed and said, what are you doing? This is serious business. Jesus gave himself for you. I think Paul would have also said, beware angels bearing false messages. Probably not in my church, which was a brethren church. We weren't uh, prone to seeing angels turn up. Uh, we had a lot of stories about angels, but I don't think the church had ever seen one, but I think he would have said it this way. I don't care if the angel has the best plumage in the sky. I don't care if the angel has the nicest, whitest frock. If they come bearing a message that isn't this one, to hell with them. Yeah, which is what he says. You can see it in the text. The NIV kind of cleans up a bit of Paul's language in Galatians, but it's as rough as you can get, which I'm sure you've heard about. Don't listen to them. It's serious business. If they come bringing a false message, then damn them. Eternal damnation. To hell with them. It goes further. You kind of imagine some guy saying, well, you know, it's fine, Paul talking about angels, but we're actually afraid of those people in Jerusalem. They're the ones with the message of, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. So my elders may have said, it's not angels we're worried about, it's other churches, it's other people, it's so-and-so, it's the theological police person in the congregation. So Paul says, look, I don't care if it's angels or men or women. I don't care if they are the stars of the church. He says, I don't care if it's Paul or James or Barnabas. I mean, these guys were as close as they got in the early church to the Beatles. I mean, these people were the glitterati. These were it. And Paul says, hypocrisy. Turning away. Holding back. Even if it's Peter. Even if it's the apostle of the church. Even if it's the guy who walked with Christ for three years, if he gives you the wrong message, don't listen. Because this is serious business. I keep looking at Reuben. I'm not kind of telling Reuben not to listen to you ever again. If you bring something that's slightly out of kilter with what I'm going to say today. So secondly, why is it so serious? It's so serious because it's so wonderful. It's so serious because of what it gives us because of what it invites us into. Some of the things Paul says about why the gospel is so wonderful in Galatians. One, it's about believing something, not doing something. All the way through. It's about believing rather than doing. Doing doesn't come first. Believing does. And the sense is, all you have to do is believe. It's not the sense of, Belief is like all these other things you had to do in the past. It's all you have to do is respond. Just come alive to what I'm saying to you. Second thing, it's about the Spirit's work and not human effort. Which is a theme right through the letter. 
It's wonderful about the gospel. It's actually God's own work. It's not my work. It's not your work. It doesn't rely on how good I am at putting this together, whether I'm a theologian, whether I've got a doctorate, whether I'm a pastor. It's God's own work. It's the spirit of life. Thirdly, it's about God's promise, not the law. In other words, it depends on God's character, on God coming through with his own promises, not on whether I can keep a set of principles. Again, it doesn't depend on me. The gospel is about bringing me from out under a curse, which is the law. In other words, the law or trying to achieve something, trying to impress God, is a curse on my life, which makes my life miserable. And the gospel is about pulling me from under that pressure, taking it away. (coughs) Finally, it's about being freed from slavery. I was a slave to this thing, this compulsion to impress God and to impress you, to impress my family. But the gospel says something else, frees me from slavery. Now, if Paul was preaching this in my church back home, back home being uh, Australia, thank you Reuben for dropping that one in just before I got up, um, on a weekend where Australia seemed to be losing everything, including you know, the league and Formula One pole position, uh, which was a tragic way to start the day today, uh, sorry if I've spoiled it for anybody else who's put it on my sky. Um, if Paul was preaching in my church back home, they would have said to him, Paul, all that stuff, we don't really understand it. Can you give it to us in English? Can you give us the message version of what you're trying to say? And I think Paul would have responded. And if we were to focus on, say, a passage like chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, which I think is the crux of the whole letter and links directly with the fruits of the Spirit, Paul would have said it as simply as this. Look, there was a time when you didn't know God. And during that time, you were trying your damnedest. And I use that word intentionally. You were trying your hardest to impress because you just didn't know him. And then there was a transition. You discovered Jesus and you discovered this. And this is the key. In Jesus, you discovered you were included all along. In Jesus, you discovered you were included all along. Now, we can get in some uh, kind of unsafe theological territory here. We won't. And we'll talk about it after. But the key message at the heart of Galatians is this. If it's about no effort, if it's about faith, if it's about promise, if it's about the Spirit's work, what Paul says is this. You didn't know and now you do. It's a question of knowing. It's a question of what's inside that generates our living and our life. What is it that we now know that we didn't before? I now know that I am included in the life of God. I'm not excluded. No matter who I am, no matter what I've done, no matter what I'm doing, I'm included in Jesus. It's that huge. My elders would have responded with, yeah, we know, mate, which is Aussie for, yes, we concur. (laughs) Mate, we know. 
We preach this stuff all the time. And Paul would have said, no, you don't. And you know how I know that you don't hear this gospel? One, you've lost your joy. Chapter 4, verse 15. You've lost your joy because you've lost sight of that knowledge that you're included. And because you've lost sight of the knowledge that you're included, you've lost your security. Because you've lost your security, you're driven by anxiety and the need to try and belong. And because you're driven by anxiety and fear that you're not quite included because the prayer wasn't good enough, the Christian life wasn't good enough, you haven't attended church enough times, it's impossible to love. And so you're destroying each other. And so the church that was 300 people before I got there, I didn't do this as a pastor, by the way, is now down to 20. 20 really tired, anxious, fearful people who are trying to keep the church alive and being told week after week, you've got to do more and people will be drawn to you. They lost their joy, they lost their passion, they lost their energy and they lost their capacity to love. Love had gone, just as in Galatians. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 13. Love here I'm translating as treasuring the otherness of the other. Treasuring the otherness of the other. Discovering that you are different to me and loving it. Seeking to know it. Yeah. The love had gone. So what then is the work of the Spirit in Galatians that brings all this back together? The work of the Spirit then is quite simply to convict us of our inclusion and to keep coming back to that. The work of the Spirit of life, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the triune relational God of love in Galatians is to convince us of our inclusion because that's what makes the difference. So my question to my church back home as Paul's questions to the Galatians and the question today is what are we hearing and how do we know what we're hearing? Paul in Galatians does this wonderful thing and that his theology in Galatians is very observational. It's actually not that complex. He uses some complicated ideas, a whole lot of Old Testament type of ideas but his basic message is this, I see what you're like. So I know what's going on inside. It's not that hard for him. It's observational all the way through and then he gets to the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, verses 19 and onwards. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft and list, list them from jealousy to drunkenness, envy, all the way. Quite extreme stuff. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives the opposite. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Notice how love and joy are the first two things listed. What do people lose first when they lose their security? Their joy. And they lose their inability to love because they're not being animated, inflamed from the inside. So what are we hearing and how do we tell? Have we lost our security? Well, how would we know? Well, 
we know if we're living out of anxiety and out of fear. Our sins don't have to be as extreme as what's listed here, but if our Christian life and our life before God is driven by the fear that we're not included and that we have to try harder, then we're not hearing the gospel. It's perfectly simple. I am often an anxious person. Um, I am often uh, wrestling with decisions that cause me some depression, I guess you'd call it. Um, some real uh, frailty in me. Uh, I was, uh, the, the VP role that Ruben spoke about is only a recent thing. And I had a choice of roles that I needed to go for in the college. And it actually caused me quite a lot of anxiety. Then I gave a lecture during that week of fairly high anxiety on this stuff uh, from a different perspective, but on the idea of being included. And I realized my anxiety wasn't about the job. My anxiety was at my core. I had forgotten the gospel. I had made my life about other things. And so I just prayed, Lord, help me believe that you love me before anything else. Don't help me with my decision. That's, that's going to come. Yeah, give me some clarity later on. But before anything else, help me know that you love me because I'm finding it hard to hook onto that right now. So how do we know we've lost our security? Anxiety. Are we living out of fear? How would we know? What signs are we exhibiting? Sin that we get involved in, in terms of what Paul talks about here, is tragic for more than just the fact that we're living less of a life than what God wants us to live. Sin confirms to us the lie that we're not included. When we sin, when we give in to things, it says to us deep inside, see? Do you see? All that stuff you suspected, that you're not included, that you're not as good as those people, that it's not really real, you just did that. See what that says about you? You're not included. But of course it doesn't say that at all. It might indicate that we've lost sight of being included, but we actually don't get a say in whether we're included or not. See how wonderful that is about the Gospel? It's about the Father. It's about Jesus. And it's about the work of the Spirit. More subtlety, uh, more subtly I should say, than the sins listed by Paul is this one. How do we know that we're living out of insecurity and anxiety rather than the freedom of the gospel? Because we read verses like this, the fruits of the Spirit, and we turn them into a law. Principles to follow. <coughs> Behaviours that we put first. So we skip through the rest of the letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good, yeah. Like, yeah, like that stuff you've done on Abraham. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you obviously know your Old Testament. Great. Let's get to the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Well, because I know how to do that. You know, I, I reckon I've got a handle on love and peace and all these other things. Yeah, see what he says. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Yep. Kindness. Yep. Goodness. Yep. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Mm, maybe. Um, Against such things there is no law. This isn't law. 
They're not principles to follow. It's the result. It's the end point. It's what others see. And rather than seeing in order to judge and say, you're not doing it quite right, it's a gift to us to see in ourselves and in others and to say, how about I just remind you of the gospel again? How about we talk about inclusion? How about we talk about the work of the Spirit, which is precisely what Paul says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires since, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means being reminded of inclusion. Being reminded of how all embraceth Christ's sacrifice, his life, his death and resurrection is for us. Is there a response of faith? Or are we saying the whole world is saved in this? We're certainly saying the whole world is included. But we're also saying there's a response of faith. Because clearly without the response of faith, there is no sense of knowing. There is no life from this inclusion. There is only judgment. But the inside and outside here is not inside the church and outside the church. It's those who know and live out of this freedom and those who don't. And sadly, what Paul is saying here is there are those in the church who don't know it. There are people in the church who don't believe it. There are people inside the church who don't hear the gospel, which is why he's raging in this letter over and over again. This is serious business. So to walk in step with the Spirit is to let the Spirit do its work, do His work, to let God work on us, to convict us of inclusion. And when we're racked with anxiety, depression, the feeling that we're lost, that we've got to try harder, it's coming back to God and saying, God, let your Spirit do His work in me and convict me of my inclusion. Lord, help me know your love that includes me, that embraces me, that I might bear fruit, your fruit, the fruit to be the man you intended for me to be. Free, loving, a heart of security, of knowing, of being convicted that I'm included, so that my life won't be driven by anxiety, the sense that I'm outside and excluded, but that I'm embraced and loved and welcomed in like the prodigal son that Reuben spoke about before. Isn't the gospel wonderful? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for including us in your son. We thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you for your plan that brought him to embrace us. But Father, we realize that your work continues in us. We know because of our day-to-day realities that we don't always get it. We don't always believe it. We don't always embrace the fact of our inclusion in him. Help us. Help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.